Welcome back to the View News Podcast. We have a new format for you this week. Instead of doing things weekly, we're going to try to do things monthly and bring you sort of the top stories that we're interested in, hopefully you are too, of uh, <laughs> what's going on in the View community. We're trying this out, so let us know if you like it or if you have any feedback for us. That would be great. And speaking of new announcements, Adam, what do you have for us? Yeah, so over at View Mastery, we just launched our new blog and we have the first blog post out by Dan. Dan Vega. He covers yeah, he covers unit <laughs> testing in view. This is part one of a beginner's guide on the topic. Ooh, unit testing. That's a a lot of people are interested in that, but I don't think many of us do it. Hmm. Yeah, and that's different than like end-to-end testing, right? Where you test the full stack. Right. So unit testing is more so testing, well, units. So in Vue's case, you're testing the components, making sure that they're outputting what you expect them to. So the article covers why you should be testing and also what you should and equally what you shouldn't be testing. Okay. I'm curious about that. What does he say you should and shouldn't test? In terms of what you should be testing, you're going to be focusing on the public interface. So if you were to document your components, these are the inputs and outputs that they have. So if it takes in a and max prop generates a number, the output is that generated number and you can test that it is within the range of those props, for example. That would be a unit test that you could do, whereas what you shouldn't be testing are things like the implementation details. So it doesn't really concern us how things worked, but just that it worked. Also, we can save time by not testing the framework or third-party libraries that we're using. We can trust that things like Vue.js and Axios are well-tested don't need to waste our time on that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common mistake you see beginner developers do is they end up testing libraries. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, we can assume that's already tested in its own place. Exactly. You don't need to be testing that. Right. And does Dan have like a recommended unit testing library for us? Good question. So in this post, we don't touch on it, but on his upcoming post, we do get into Jest along with view test utils. Ooh, looking forward to that. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about microservices. I think typically I've heard the term when it comes to like backend software development, where you split Mm -hmm. up your backend servers into smaller pieces, you know, so you have different servers that do specific things. That way you can run them separately, scale them separately and test them separately. But what do you think it might look like if you took that same idea into Vue and created a micro component architecture? So using your backend analogy, maybe you have small components feeding into larger components that can be tested independently of each other. Yeah. Jamie Gross wrote up this front end architect article, if that's a word that's such a... Where he takes a bigger application, talks about breaking it into many small components who are independent and unaware of the other components in the application. You know, and in this, each component can be owned by a single developer. Each component can be designed to function independently, unaware of who the parent is, which makes it really easy to use across different applications. And also then when you go to deploy, you basically are deploying new versions of components without necessarily changing any code in the main application. Does that Hmm. make sense? Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Does Jamie go into maybe the drawbacks of maybe code reuse? Yeah, obviously you're going to be writing more code if you're designing these components so that you're sending a lot of data in and sending data out and those can be moved around. So you probably don't want to do this with any small projects. But um, the way that he implemented it is by grouping a bunch of components inside NPM packages. So you can think of his project as multiple npm packages that are referenced by version packages 
packages <laughs> and uh, packages. <laughs> you go and deploy them. You're just deploying different versions of these different pack packages. Packages. <laughs> yes. We should license that for the new Silicon Valley new startup. Yeah. <laughs> Introducing packages. <laughs> it sounds like rather than importing one giant component library, you're importing pieces of a component library into your app that can then be upgraded separately. Does that sound right? Yeah, upgraded separately, tested separately, and reused separately. Nice. As fellow Vue enthusiasts, we all know that we love the documentation that comes to Vue, but as you all probably are aware, like documentation in the tech world is not always the greatest. No. What are some of the problems that you all have had with documentation? There's just not enough to begin with. Also, oftentimes it's not beginner friendly, not in layman's terms. Yeah, or sometimes it'll just have an API describing the functions, but there's no guide to guide you through learning it. And also sometimes it all gets out of date. Yeah, exactly. And so wouldn't it be great if we had a tool that allows you to easily author content while keeping it up to date with your code? <laughs> Luckily for I, us... Ben, go ahead. <laughs> do you have a solution to this problem? <laughs> Well, funny you should mention it. I have to write an article for Smashing Magazine on ViewPress, which is new kid on the block for those that aren't aware, and whose sole job is to make your team and product's life better by just creating these gorgeous documentation sites that live directly next to your code base so that as you issue code updates, you can actually write the documentation for it as well and make sure your user has the latest and greatest. How easy is it to like get started on like, say I have a new project and I want to build that documentation. Is WordPress pretty user-friendly? Yeah, it's really user-friendly. You basically install the dependency and you just have a folder containing a bunch of markdown files and then it automatically generates everything for you. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And I know that often people wonder, can it be used for something else like blogging? What would you say to that? There is an official blog plugin, so be sure to check that out if you're interested in using it for blogging. And for those who are already using ViewPress, the core team just released version 1.1, which contains a lot of important bug fixes and some new features. So be sure to upgrade your ViewPress instance whenever you can. There may come a time when your company or a client needs a mobile app. Using NativeScript Vue, you can use your existing Vue skills to build one. But keep in mind there are some learning curves and gotchas along the way. Raymond Camden shared his tips for developers picking up NativeScript, setting some expectations around what you'll likely encounter. So NativeScript, this is where you're not coding up HTML, you're coding up like a, a new sort of templating language, which then gets converted into iOS or Android. Exactly. And compiled hence, in there. Hence the native in native script. So it's basically you have access to the native iOS or Android components so that your app looks and behaves like that respective device's application. Nice. And you also get the performance benefits as well, as opposed to web-based apps, which wrap your application in a browser rather than using the native elements. Yeah, it's just going to feel a lot more like an iOS app, for example, if you're using those native components. So like you mentioned, Greg, one of the gotchas is around the fact that you're not going to be using HTML. So I was testing this out this morning and tried to use a P tag and crash the whole preview app until I realized, oh, duh, I need to use the text view component to display that text. So little gotchas like that, that you have to reframe your mind around. Also, you might have experienced this if you've ever gone from the front end to back end with Node where you're in JavaScript, but you're doing something that was simple before, but it's not working. And then you realize it's because you're on the server side, you try to use some browser specific functionality. Mm -hmm. Like local storage. Yep. Stuff like local storage uh, or 
in the NativeScript context, view router, that's not going to work, but there are manual solutions for it. And Raymond Camden previously walked through how to do that with NativeScript in a two-part tutorial series. So there is a lot of documentation. I think though NativeScript has like a huge marketplace of like thousands of plugins that you can put into your application when you need to do something more advanced, which looks pretty cool. Yeah, they got like over a thousand plugins and they also have a verification system. So some of them come verified. uh, So you know that they're going to work in the ways that you expect them to. And view applications, components typically start out simple, but as your application grows, they can get more and more complex, especially when you have a component that needs to be reused in different ways and you end up creating props so you can configure it. And then you need more configuration so you add more props. And before you know it, you have a dictionary of props to use a component. Right. And there's going to be a better solution. What do you think? Yeah, at some point, slots are going to be the optimal solution versus all those props. Right. And Damien Dulish recently wrote up a post showing how a component can evolve from using props and refactor that into using slots. And eventually, if it gets advanced, into scope slots. And for those who don't know, scope slots allow you to expose properties and functions to the parent component, which gives you the ability to really customize the child component's template and or functionality. Yeah, and Damien's got a great example walking through how to do this with scope slots to create some really useful design patterns within Vue. So how does Vue 3's composition API help with this at all? Yeah, so it actually gives you one additional way to organize and share functionality across components. And I've been working on a bunch of lessons for Vue Mastery on a Vue 3 Essentials course that we get to start releasing shortly. So you can start playing with it. Speaking of single file components, what comes to mind when you both hear the term? Um, .view files that contain the template, JavaScript, and CSS. Well-organized files, so you know what ought to live where. Exactly. And so often, single-file components are used to chunk out little bits of UI. But on the other hand, have you ever heard of renderless components? Yeah, those are components that maybe don't have any template associated. They just have functionality or behavior that they pass down to child components, perhaps. Or I guess up to parent components, too, if it's using like a scope slot. Right. The first time I ran into a component without a template, it was like mind blown. (laughs) But it is a very useful design pattern. And this month, there was an article in ViewDose where Alex introduces the pattern of a data provider component, which basically creates a component whose sole function is to provide data to another component through the scope slot technique that we just talked about earlier. Nice. So do you guys remember the first time you realized you love to code? You mean back when I used to build sites that used too many blink, marquee, and dancing baby gifs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I, that has to be where it came from is the initial like HTML and GeoCities. Yeah. Back in the day. Angel fire. For me, I remember it was a specific moment. I was building a site learning the jQuery, I believe it was a draggable API. And it was just a simple site where you dragged music loops, like a beat, baseline, melody, and could create a song. And coming from a music background, the ability to combine my two worlds into one passion was just like super exciting to me. So when I saw an article on dev.to on building a Vue.js piano, I wanted to share it. Not necessarily because I think everyone out there needs to build a piano, but I think that it can help us remind us of our passions and why we got into coding if we take on a hobby or a passion project. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying I don't have to code only for the man? Right, right. We can use our power for our own good as well. Yeah. And Adam, I feel compelled to encourage you to tell the audience your amazing passion project you've been working on. 
Oh, uh, yeah. So next month I have an interactive installation in downtown Orlando. That's where Greg and I are located. And uh, it's an interactive art. So using a sensor so you can interact with your hand, with what you're seeing and hearing all together. It is not view based. I will say that it's (laughs) it's Python, but um, but it's okay. We still like you. You can still do the podcast with us. Right. Thank you for for that open mindedness. That sounds like an awesome project, combining your passion for music and visualization and code. It's so important to play around with code apart from your daily grind. You probably can learn a lot, too. Yeah, in the case of this author, they had to learn about view.observable to keep track of the actively playing keys because they're also displaying a visual of what was actively playing. So you might be surprised at what you were forced to learn and can bring into your daily work by picking up a project. Very cool. Another good way to keep your view skills up to date and make them more advanced is to go to a view conference. And I just wanted to mention a bunch of them that are coming up in case you want to reserve the time on your calendar. First of all, Adam and I are on our way to view London this Friday, October 4th. And I think there's a few more tickets left. View Fez Japan is October 12th in Tokyo. Connect Tech in Atlanta has a dedicated view track and that's October 17th and 18th. View Camp Berlin is October 26th and 27th. View Comp Toronto is November 11th and 12th. And next year, there's View Amsterdam, February 20th and 21st. View Comp US in Austin, Texas, March 2nd through 4th. And the call for participation is still open on that one if you want to submit a talk. The deadline for that is October 15th. And lastly, View Day 2020 in Verona, Italy is on April 3rd. So head on down. We might see you there. (laughs) Say that again into the microphone. (laughs) So head on down to one. We might uh, meet you over there. We might just be there. We're going to be at a few of them. (laughs) Free hugs. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this new Not Quite the View News podcast. Different format. Wait, is this the View News podcast? What, what is this exactly? monthly news, this month in view. Oh, this month in view. Tweet, tweet us with your feedback and um, help us name this. <laughs> yeah, <whatever laughs> we're, we're figuring it out. If, you li- if you're still listening, hopefully you're still listening because I know it's a little longer than usual. If you've fallen asleep, wake up now. <laughs> Don't miss your appointment. I'll come backwards from five, <laughs> yeah. five, four. Give us your feedback and thanks for listening. <laughs>